0: Love, talk, radio. Welcome to Open Minds Radio with Alejandro Rojas. Open Minds Radio is your UFO news authority, presenting evidence
1: and the latest news regarding the UFO phenomenon. Here's your host, Alejandro Rojas. Hello and welcome once again to Open Minds Radio. Just enjoying a cup of coffee. While a haboobie goes overhead. Well, actually, it's not that bad. It's a big dust storm out here in the desert of Phoenix where it's hot. And when it gets windy, that is no relief. That's like a blow dryer blowing on your face. And then sometimes, like right now, that blow dryer that's blowing the heat in your face is carrying a lot of dust. And one of the things that they said is in this dust is a lot of bug parts. There's lots of bugs in the forest, so we're breathing in these parts of scorpions and and
2: beetles, and and grasshoppers. I think there's a lot of bug parts in most everything in life. Yeah, I think you're right. They always do those reports during Valentine's Day about how many bug parts there are in chocolate. Oh, really? That's scary. Lots of bugs all over the place. But,
1: not on the radio, this is pure digital where we're able to filter out any bug parts so you just get information, and that's what we've got for you today. We have a wonderful guest today and that is Ted Peters and this is a subject that I am really uh into which is religion and UFO disclosure religion and extraterrestrials and you know you guys know that we're into this because we've had some guests on lately talking about it in particular it was not quite a year ago but we had Paul Davis on which is a big score for the show because he works at ASU and he is a world renowned astrophysicist, and he had been speaking a lot about religion and how religions, uh, for the most part, don't struggle too much with the extraterrestrial uh, idea except for the Roman Catholics. Uh, uh, Their philosophies have a harder time with that. Uh, And so we've talked about those philosophies and things with different guests that we've had on. But what Ted Peter's done is actually put to task what especially, he talks about SETI and SETI scientists saying that the world would really have world's religions would have a real problem if they knew extraterrestrial uh visitation was really happening. And people would freak out and run in the streets and it'd be mayhem. Well, what Ted Peters has done is actually done a scientific study. He is a uh, he teaches seminary at uh the theological union in Berkeley. Uh he's a professor and he got together with a psychologist, and they put together a survey to figure out what, how people really would react. And really, uh, what he found is quite interesting. Uh, some of you will probably agree with it because uh, you'll see um, that it makes a lot of sense. So this is a great study that he did. Really, it needs to have more attention. And luckily, he is going to be speaking at the MUFON Symposium coming up here. The week after next, July 29th to the 31st. So if you want to hear more about him after you hear him tonight, uh, check out the symposium. But uh, yeah, it's, I think his work is great. So, And he's a lot of fun. So we'll be talking to him in a minute. Uh, we'll also He also has some of it in a book called UFOs, Gods, and Chariots, Flying Saucers in Politics, Science, and Religion. So good stuff. Uh, I really like talking to him, so I think you're going to find this great. As I mentioned at Mufon, we will be there. Jason and Maureen and, and I will be signing magazines. Uh, if you bring in your iPhone, uh, because Maureen is uh, now kind of a and Jason are YouTube superstars, uh, they'll sign your iPhone or your iPad or just bring in your laptop. Or if you want to, haul in your desktop computer and they can sign it because they are get signed by UFO YouTube superstars. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, go to the Open Minds TV YouTube page and see all of the cool stuff. And that, our latest magazine that we're going to have there is out in, about Hollywood. So we're going to be in Irvine, California. That's where the MUFON Symposium is, not too far from Hollywood. So, those of you, you Hollywood stars that are listening and, you know, you've read Jason's article and you want Sammy Hagar or Dan Aykroyd, Steven Spielberg, some of the guys. We're, if you want to come see us and talk to us about your article, feel free to come because I know they're all listening to the show right now. So, And I, they've been dying to meet us. I know it. So this is your opportunity, Stevie. Uh, we'll talk about some of your latest movies and definitely have some suggestions on how to improve them. Falling Skies, I'm sorry, is awful, and the whole alien invasion stuff is getting a little old, buddy. Super 8 rock, though. Anyway, let us get on to some of the other exciting things that you can find at OpenMinds.tv, and that is the daily UFO headlines, headlines from around the world, and we are always very fortunate to have Jason McClellan here
2: to talk news with us. Jason, talk some news to us. I am ready to talk news. Hello, Alejandro, and greetings, everyone, out in Radioland and in Videoland. This is your Open Minds News Brief for Monday, July 18, 2011. Space Exploration Technologies, better known as SpaceX, broke ground last week on a new launch pad. The company's CEO, Elon Musk, as well as state and local officials were on hand for the groundbreaking ceremony that took place at Vandenberg Air Force Base, northwest of Los Angeles, California. SpaceX is renovating an old launch pad from the 1960s at the base to be able to accommodate their mammoth Falcon Heavy rocket. Falcon Heavy is still being constructed by the company and will reportedly be the world's most powerful rocket, capable of sending cargo and possibly even people into space. According to the Huffington Post, the renovations of the launch pad are expected to cost between 20 and $30 million and will take 18 months to complete. The company's goal is to launch Falcon Heavy from the new launch pad in 2013. With NASA's space shuttle program coming to a close, companies like SpaceX will likely fill the void. And as Huffington Post Post points out, SpaceX already has a contract with NASA to supply the International Space Station with cargo using its smaller Falcon 9 rocket. And the company hopes to secure additional contracts with NASA and other customers, which could include taking satellites into space as well as humans on future manned exploration missions.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We talk a lot about SpaceX. They're one yeah. of the more exciting companies right now with uh, with their propulsion systems anyway. Well, and this
1: whole – I mean, it's just very fascinating to watch this revolution, this change in our whole space bearing initiatives changing to the privatization it's kind of scary because the private sector uh moves a little slower because they have to see realize some profit um in their ventures but uh and of course safety is always kind of scary uh with those type of things since NASA has been doing this for so long but um i think people would agree you know we need to cut and i would rather see i'm, I'm a space fanatic but i'd rather see you know, maybe a few less rocket launches than uh, to see Medicare or Medicaid cut. I mean, or Social Security, people who really need that money.
2: It's a a lot of big time bucks spent on this stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about this a lot, but I mean, even this, and I, I pointed this out to you. Uh, during last week that this just renovating a launch pad the launch pad's already there they're not starting from scratch this is already a base already a launch pad they're renovating it to be able to handle this bigger rocket Mm -hmm. but just that renovation alone is costing $30 million Yeah,
1: and you know the problem and it comes back to defense uh, which of course UFO people are always talking about because defense costs so much those contractors those companies charge so much for everything that they do, that those same technologies which they want to use in space programs, these costs are inflated because they're using them to build missiles. Um, and so everything is very expensive in that whole industry. So, of course, I'd much rather see a few less missiles being built and rockets than and uh, jet fighters or other things
2: that are... Absolutely, and that's why we need Steven Spielberg people. and the like to stop... Making these television yeah. shows and movies about invading aliens. Quit scaring the hell out of everybody. That's right. We want to go meet the aliens. and Yeah. Shake their hand. We don't not. need to shoot them. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I will disagree with you. I, I think that you know, no. with, the, with the private sector. Turn microphone on. I think things will, will move more quickly. Maybe. You know, I, I think with NASA, we, we look at a lot of the same technology being used that's been around since the 60s.
1: I hope so. But then look at Spaceship One. Spaceship too. How long? I mean, two years ago they did their test flight, and they're still a year or two out to doing, you know, their regular flights. Although they've already broken ground and they're building their spaceport in New right. Mexico. That's exciting.
2: Very exciting. But I hope you're right. Yeah, the private space industry is definitely exciting, and, and you know, it's certainly all all new to everybody. So it's exciting to watch how it develops. Mm-hmm. Well, early this month. Fireball UFOs were filmed in both Georgia and Mexico. Now another fireball UFO video has surfaced. The video shows a Russian rocket transforming during different stages of the initial launch, then strange flickering balls of light appear near the object, causing some to speculate that UFOs were disarming the rocket. The Epic Times describes this video stating, several tiny white lights are flashing around the object and its tail, both glowing with a whitish light, probably due to the effect of filming a computer screen, as the core becomes semi-translucent with a striped appearance. However, the rocket captured here is most likely the Soyuz-2, the rocket carrying six satellites from Kazakhstan, launched early in the morning, the same day the videos were uploaded. The Soyuz-2 rocket is a three-stage carrier-type rocket designed for delivering payloads into lower orbit, and the strange transformation seen in the video is most likely caused by the different stages of burn. But we don't know. Debunking another one of my favorite videos. Oh, I'm not debunking at all. Yeah, in fact, I give credit to the debunking on this one to Maureen. Oh, no, really? But this That's video a cool is,
1: video. It it's is one, such one, such one a of the cool yeah,
2: most interesting videos we've seen in a long time. Yeah. And it reminded me a lot of something out of the movie uh, The Abyss. Mm-hmm.
1: Some sort of organic, oh, yeah. like weird. Yeah.
2: But you're right. I mean, also, you
1: know, when it's a small object and then it explodes and gets big. But it does look like on TV when the stage is, you know, right. one stage moving to the next where it's blowing up. It's a
2: very cool video, though. I highly recommend watching it. Mm -hmm. And we have that on our website, openminds.tv. Excellent. A 36-year-old bus driver was watching television last Monday night when she noticed a light hovering above the trees behind her home. She was startled by the light because she lives in a very rural part of town and the area behind her house is undeveloped for miles. She described the hovering object as having red, blue, and white twinkling lights. She grabbed her camera and took a few photos of the object. She watched the object for approximately 30 minutes, and she noted how eerily silent it was when the object was hovering. Living near a swamp, the night is normally filled with sounds of frogs, crickets, and other swamp creatures, but it was quiet. The next morning, she went to explore the area beneath where the object had been hovering, and she discovered an 8-foot by 10-foot area of tall grass that had been flattened. Hmm, Interesting story yeah that is a weird one. I don't remember reading that one i I think we read it together alejandro huh this was the u f o in killingsley oh
1: killingsley. okay okay
2: so and, yeah very
1: interesting one. and
2: another interesting fact about this story is this woman though she her current occupation is a bus driver she was formerly a, an air force policewoman hm so i i would assume that an air force policewoman uh is is trained in observation mhm Wow, that is a very So her story is interesting. It has a lot of uh, other things other than just a, a, a sighting of a light in the sky. You know, she's got the the silence of everything, not just the silence of the craft. No noise coming from the craft, but everything was silent. And then this flattening of the tall grass in the area. Was this one of
1: those stories, though, that didn't show the picture? I think it was. No, it showed the picture. Oh, it did. Yep. Because I know we've ran a couple, across a couple of those.
2: Right. Where it says... Even in the title, of Photograph
1: of UFO, and
2: then they don't include the Yeah, photo. lots of interesting sighting stories lately, but yeah. no, no photo with the story, yeah. which is unfortunate. This one does have a photo, and it shows this, this weird light kind of above the trees. Killingly, I remember that. Yep. Just a quick crop circle story here. A huge 200-foot crop circle appeared in Wiltshire, England last week, just across the street from Stonehenge. The circle is extremely large and contains what some have interpreted as three half moons. And I always kind of laugh at some people's interpretations of crop circles because, mm-hmm. you know, they could be anything. It's just like constellations. Mm-hmm. You look in the sky or clouds, go, there's yeah. an elephant. Yeah, but Interesting. Did you see that one? It's li- oh, yeah. It's literally across the street from Stonehenge. Yeah, and I think what's, what's cool about the
1: Stonehenge ones, this is a big one. It's another elaborate, very pretty one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Stonehenge has a lot of tourists. Right. So they have tourists all day long. And I remember even... Uh last year one happened across the street from Stonehenge and they actually interviewed the security guard and he said, you know, I'm here all day and I came in, I left last night, there was nothing across the street, came in in the morning and it's there. So he's like, I don't, you know, these people have to make these things overnight and that's so huge. I don't I don't know how they could do it. So this one didn't have an interview with the security guard, but it the same thing applies. It's it's uh pretty incredible.
2: Right. I feel bad for the farmers in that area though. Yeah. Their crops always get trashed. Yeah, they don't like it. I mean, if I were a farmer there, I would definitely be setting up a ticket booth and charging admission. Well, they do to that the, the in cost order of the crops. Yeah, to recuperate.
1: But, and people argue, oh, well, maybe it's a farmer doing it to make money. Right. But the farmers point out, they don't make money. They recuperate a little bit of their losses right. from that. They don't right. make money off of that. And on top of it, when people are traipsing all over the crops, they even destroy more.
2: Yeah. Yep. Feel bad for those farmers. Yep, and they can't catch the suckers. Right. Those well, security guards need to wake up. Yeah, well... Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we... Here's a story we can hopefully now put to bed and never mention again. But the UFO-like silver helium balloon that grabbed the nation's attention back in 2009 has been sold. I'm talking, of course, about the infamous balloon created by Richard Heaney in the Balloon Boy hoax, where a Colorado couple said that their son had floated away in the balloon. The Heens put the balloon up for auction earlier this month, and an anonymous man who paid more than $2,500 is the new owner of this worthless balloon.
1: Uh-huh.
2: That $2,500 will fortunately go to a more worthwhile cause than going to the Heans. The money is reportedly being given to Japanese earthquake and tsunami relief funds. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, his wife is Japanese.
2: Correct. So
1: I I don't think this is the last we're going to hear of Heen, though. I mean, he did this as a marketing stunt. He's kind of a marketing – he's a ham, and he tries to get into the spotlight, and he, he wanted that the, with
2: his, this. He wanted his own reality show.
1: Yeah. Well, when he put this balloon up for sale at first, he put it up for like $2 million, right. and he got news then. So, yeah, we're
2: going to hear about this jokester some more. And I think probably the reason that they're giving the money to charity is because he didn't get as much as he thought he would. He thought he had some sort of gold mine here, but uh, and it's funny because this $2,500 doesn't even come close to – Covering his uh legal the, the fees that mm-hmm. he had to pay for tricking everybody for the the fraud that was something like thirty six thousand dollars they yeah. had to pay so, well he's lucky he didn't
1: go to prison I mean yeah that's such an awful thing to do these yeah.
2: guys are busy
1: um you know chasing this balloon when they could have been out saving other people's lives
2: hopefully nobody else got hurt a lot of yeah a lot of resources were used with that and you remember every every single news station was Live feeding that, showing the balloon in the sky, saying, oh, Mm -hmm. there's a boy in a balloon. Yeah, it was scary. And that went on. Lots of local uh, authorities were trying to chase the balloon down. Yep. Yep, so $36,000 got off easy. Character. Oh, yeah. And Alejandro, here's something that made me think of you. A local news website in Pennsylvania posted an article last week. And in the article, they highlighted 10 things you should do if you see a UFO, something they quoted directly from MUFON. And I'm sure, Alejandro, you can probably recite these from heart, being that you were, you are a field investigator and you were the public education director for MUFON. Yeah,
1: what is it? Run, number one. Two, crawl under the bed. Three, um, try not to cry
2: too loud. That was, you skipped one. Oh, okay. Actually, you're not far off. <laughs> but let's start with number one. Number one, Alejandro, the most important thing you need to do right off the bat is remain calm but protect yourself from any hazards, real or perceived. I think that's a little pessimistic there. Yeah. When I see a UFO, I get excited. I don't Mm -hmm. think about protecting myself. I don't feel threatened by UFOs.
1: Well, the perceived part is the dangerous
2: part because, of course, people can mistake a plane for a UFO and they're running inside. But I guess... Also, you should look up for the hazards if there's a, a fireball a UFO coming yeah. and it's actually a plane that's crashing or a, yeah. or a meteor coming and it's going to hit yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. wow, UFO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So remain calm. And then number two is be objective. Not every UFO is extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. Oh, yeah. I like that point. one. Number three, use a camcorder or camera to record the event. That's also a great one. No, However... Yeah. They don't mention anything about a tripod, which is unfortunate. Oh,
1: they need to mention they need the to
2: tripod. Amend that one tripod. Yeah. Or if you have a tape recorder, record your descriptions of the event as it happens, and that's really good that's too, a great one. because in the heat of the moment, you know, the adrenaline running and everything, even hours later, you forget details that could be important, which is probably the next one. If other witnesses are present, ask them to also write or record their observations. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the thing is. Write down and that every time you get a call or an email, write down your experience immediately, as much detail as you can because your memory starts to fade. And once your memory fades, your brain has a funny habit of putting things in there that right, didn't filling happen. in the gaps.
2: Yeah, yep. And with other witnesses, it's it's good to have the corroborating evidence yep. too, so you can names names and phone numbers too. Yeah. Uh, let's see, number six. If the UFO left some trace of its presence behind, do not disturb the area around it. And and why is that, Alejandro? Just like in a, any
1: criminal case, so you don't disturb any evidence um, where things are lying, and and
2: of course there's some danger possibly. Uh, but what if what if you found the trace evidence? Would would you then go in the area and do your investigation? Yeah. For sure. Okay. But
1: these are are guides for non-certified
2: investigators, and there's even some MUFON investigators I wouldn't
1: want traipsing around.
2: (laughs) Number seven, if the sighting is from a distance at an arm's length, what would it take to cover up the object? A quarter? A penny?
1: Yeah, that's the most common one. So when you reach out your arm, and you know what, for interesting, uh, the moon. Mm -hmm. I mean, what they say is a Tylenol. If you hold out your hand holding a Tylenol, it'll cover the moon. And even for, supposedly, for that effect where on the uh, horizon the moon looks really big mm-hmm. is where when it's above you.
2: Supposedly, if you hold out a Tylenol, it'll cover up the moon, even when it's at the horizon. But Tylenol comes in different shapes and sizes.
1: Well, Not in the
2: old days. Not in the old days. Things yeah. were much simpler back then. Yeah. I mean, the these gel caps and the, caps and the liquid caps. Yeah. It, let's see, try to judge the distance from you to the object, the object's altitude and its speed. That's always a tough one.
1: Yeah, that's nearly impossible, but uh, people can take the best stab. Otherwise, I mean, someone, if you read like Bruce McAbee's analysis, that's the first thing he does is uh, he relates it to, um, and which it should be said in pictures or in video, get some sort of establishing shot where you have a tree or something with right. the object because someone like Bruce McAbee can figure out the, the height of the tree and then the angle uh, from you to the top of the tree and start to try to figure out a uh, general
2: idea of the the height. Right. Yeah, I mean, with things in the sky, it's, it's difficult. You know, we've got very little to, to compare, but, you know, some, things we see in the sky a lot are birds and airplanes. So with speed, you can sort of use those as a comparison. You can say yeah. it moved about as fast as a, an airplane usually does or it was yeah. at the height of an airplane that an airplane usually flies.
1: One the cool thing with a thing like uh, what Bruce does is then you can at least tell, okay, if that thing was a mile away, then it was 20 feet. You mm-hmm. know, if it was two miles away, it was 100 mm-hmm. feet. So that, at least that gives you kind of an idea. And then the same with the speed.
2: Number nine is should you encounter some type of extraterrestrial being associated with the craft, be prepared to take evasive action to protect yourself. Again, yeah, I, I don't think that's necessary.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's lose lose. You can like try to talk to it, or you can run. But if it wants to catch you,
2: I don't think you're getting away. I, I, I think I'm beat. Yeah. You've got as much luck, yeah. I think if I, if I take a swing at it, it'll just piss him off. Yeah. And number 10, immediately report the event to OpenMinds.tv. Is that number 10? That's number 10. Wow, great. Or any other UFO research organization. Mm-hmm. But those Definitely. are the 10. Did you have those memorized? Yeah, no, I didn't have those memories. Oh, I'm sure you presented those many times, Mr. Education. Not in
1: those ten, but in in a different way. Oh, okay. Although, see, a couple of them, like if you meet an ET, be prepared to defend yourself. I mean, I wouldn't have something like that. I could
2: imagine you presenting those and acting them out at the same time, doing all sorts of karate chops and things. There you take a picture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Take a picture, take a video, have it sign a release that says, I certify. I testify that I am from another planet other than Earth. So then you know it's extraterrestrial. So at least then you have a legal document. So if he's lying, and he is from Earth, you can sue him at a later date for pain and suffering.
2: Well, and I think this goes back up to number five or whatever it was. I mean, if there's an extraterrestrial there, that's someone the else there at the sighting. So you need to get his account as well. Yeah. His, what did you see? Yeah take the tape recorder Mm -hmm. get his uh, I saw this weird looking earthling yep that will help Mm -hmm. Alejandro that is it for the news remember to check out these stories and more at openminds.tv your source for UFO related news I'm Jason McClellan your Open Minds news correspondent and you've been briefed and do make sure to bug Alejandro and wish him a happy birthday yesterday but don't do it yesterday because you'd have to time travel for that but do feel free to send him a message today wishing him a happy birthday thank you You're welcome, Alejandro. All right. Well, thanks again for the great news. And
1: there's definitely good points there. Please, people, tripod. There are so many times, and we've talked about this, that people don't have a tripod. They try to lean up against something, and it's impossible. Your hand cannot stay steady. So when there's so many times we receive these videos and people say that it was flying this way and flying that way, and it's impossible to tell, especially if it's a single light in the sky, uh, you know, and you're holding the camera. There's no way for a researcher to say that's not a star uh, because your your hand is moving. And so the moving of the object in the screen is probably due to your hand movement. Now, if you have a tripod that your camera's on and you're filming a light and uh, it's the light is moving, then we know something about the movement, and we know that the movement didn't have to do with handshake or anything like that. So, tripod's important, video and filming is important, Uh, binoculars if you have them are important, and then recording exactly what you saw afterwards is really important, and recording the time, because like that first thing said, a lot of things are not UFOs, and you can go to a site such as Heavens Above, which is a great site. Heaven's Dash Above, and you can go there and go look at your area at the time that you had your sighting, and it will show you if there are any satellites or iridium flares, and it will show you how intense the light is. Um, So you'll be able to see if it's a really bright object, because there are oftentimes, if you haven't seen an iridium flare, that's a really cool thing to see, because you'll see, all of a sudden, this light get really bright, and then dim out, and that is actually these iridium satellites. I think there is, they're they're Russian, and they're tumbling through space, and and they've got they know exactly when the sun's going to hit it right where it's going to sh- light up in the sky. Um, so that's something fun to go watch. Go to heavens above right now and go see when there's going to be an iridium flare in your area and go check that out. It'll tell you when the space shuttle's above all of these type of things. Now, if you don't see something there, then you've got something very interesting and certainly report it. Report it to open minds. And, you know, I like to say report it to move on too, because it's better to report it to more places than less, uh, because that makes everybody's data better. Uh, So we uh, can see correlations between sightings. Other stories that you can read on open minds. Well, our story from last week has gotten a lot of attention. And that was the one with uh, Frank Kimbler, our last guest, who uh, did some isotopic research on some metals and material that he found out in the desert in Roswell where the crash is. Uh, there was a question uh, about the error, um, and the, there's always error in a test, and uh, the where the uh, isotopes, I guess, landed on this test is close to the error, uh, and as Frank says, you know, that's why he needs to be, do more tests. He says it would be rare that this, uh, you know, would... Um, hit somewhere, you know, off the the chart like it did, um, and be error, but it's entirely possible. So that's why the the other tests need to be done just to answer that question. Um, more tests need to be done to figure that out. Like Jason said, we have the fireball stuff. We also have an interesting story about um, UFOs over Wisconsin. And this comes from the Wendell Stevens Archives. Uh, And really, you know, collecting decades of UFO pictures, he has some very interesting stuff there. And we always try to get as many of these pictures into the magazine and onto the website as possible. Uh, This was a situation where, fortunately, we had multiple pictures and we had an analysis of those pictures. So those are all online. Some of these, of course, look uh, highly dubious. Uh, but some of them um, not so much. And, I mean, it seems, especially in the 70s, a lot of discs uh, and were being seen in some extraordinary photographs. So go and check that out uh, on our website in our article section. All of those things that Jason had talked about are up there as well. And another story, I talked a little bit about this, it's doing very well, is our Vietnam story where uh, somebody at the National Archives had written a blog about a UFO incident that he had found in some logs at a base in Vietnam during the Vietnam War, and Antonio had found that, so he wrote a story on that, and that's also a really interesting one. The base was called Chu Lai, Um, and we don't know who the person was that submitted it, but uh, you can read that account. Otherwise, we're keeping on top of all the fireball UFO videos that keep appearing Um, It's interesting in the last couple of weeks That there's been so many And it's also interesting that the Epic um, Times Has been covering all of these stories And they're a paper out of Washington, D.C. And I think it's partially Jason's fault That they're so interested Because they had posted a video he had put up on YouTube And uh, they've been posting a lot of UFO videos ever since so very interesting stuff there so that's some of what you'll find on our website we also actually have some new youtube videos up like i've talked about uh you know we have some ufo news uh the stories that you get here but you have maureen talking about them and some videos are showing if they're associated we have a little more video with pictures about the roswell ufo material that i had talked about and we always put up uh we'll take those window pictures that I was talking about and put them on video uh, as well so people can watch them on YouTube. And one of those is uh, from Cumberland Rhode Island is up right now. And this is kind of a, a photo of a strange kind of long um, cylindrical type UFO photograph. And uh, Jason and I put that together on a video as well. So... Our YouTube is something very cool to check out. In fact, if you go to openminds.tv and scroll to the under the stories, you'll see our video section and we have a very cool new video player up there where you can scroll through our videos and check those out and watch them on the page or click on the video and it'll take you to YouTube. You can also easily share it to your Twitter and your Facebook. And right there you can subscribe to our YouTube so you're up to date whenever we put a new video out. And our videos are just so incredible that you're going to want to be the first to know what's going down. So go subscribe there. However, let us go ahead and get Ted Peters on because I'm very interested in this subject. His study was incredible. I mean, I love when people go and take these Um, ideas, myths, or something like that, and go apply them uh, and do some real studies to figure out uh, whether they're real or not. And that's what Mr. Peters has done. And so let's get him on and hear what he has to say about this. All right. I am very happy to have Ted Peters on the phone. Are you there?
0: Uh, I'm here, Alejandro.
1: Good. It's wonderful to talk to you. And, uh, I'm really excited to talk about this subject uh, because I just, I find not only the, the, I think you, when we talked before, you had mentioned about, uh, you know, more of the discussion than whether or not they're just here, but the whole social aspect of it and uh, is really interesting.
0: Yes, I look at UFOs as a phenomenon, uh, and when you um, look at a phenomenon, you don't talk just about what's there, the UFO itself. Mm -hmm. but also the person who is perceiving it or thinking about it. And it's both the uh, viewer and what gets viewed, and things such as the psychological impact or the sociological impact of uh, the person who perceives in UFOs or believes in UFOs, it's just as important to me as uh, what they themselves might be in themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. What originally got you interested in looking at the subject or dealing with extraterrestrial life?
0: Well, when I was a kid, my mother and father were avid UFO book readers, and I can still remember uh, a day when they went to hear George Adamski, the great uh, California contactee, to hear him speak. I was so young at the time, I had to stay home with a babysitter, but I couldn't wait for them to get home so I could hear uh, what it was that uh, Adamski was saying. And There was a a lot of uh, excitement, and I collected. Uh, newspaper clippings and magazine clippings for decades uh, to follow the phenomenon. Later on when I grew up and became a university professor. I went back and, boy, I just had a goldmine of information to look at. So uh, you could say I'm almost a cradled grave UFO aficionado.
1: Yeah, and... um... So then, I mean, uh, one of the things that you've done and I, I think is really interesting, you kind of tackled this whole concept uh, with uh, that religion, because a lot of people say this over and over again, that religions will be uh, greatly affected should the extraterrestrial um, truth come out or should there be you know, people, they sh- come and visit us outwardly and disclosure happens. And uh, it, uh, that's one of the things that's great is you actually did a survey to get together a lot of people yes, to figure this prompted,
0: out. I was prompted to pursue this question because it seemed to me that religious people, that is, say someone affiliated with the church or organization, were just as interested in UFOs as anybody else was. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Yeah, there seemed to be these uh, assumptions that religion was fragile and it was just great if we made contact with an extraterrestrial intelligent. One year I received four invitations to be interviewed for the National Enquirer, each one writing, one to each, um, journalists wanting to write a story on this, and, and I remember arguing with one, well, don't you think that if we meet E.T. that our religion will crumble? And I said, no, of course not. So why why do you think uh, that it would? And the interviewer said, well, because Christianity teaches that man is the highest being. I said, gee, I never noticed that. <laughs> I thought there were angels of God were quick higher mm-hmm. than, God. and uh so each one of those ended in frustration, and later on now I've become very involved in the dialogue between science and religion, uh especially uh, currently astrobiology and those scientists who are really looking at what's happening in outer space and I noticed that these scientists seem to make the same assumption, that actual contact with E.T. will be uh, destructive to religion. It will cause a crisis in belief, and religion will fall apart. And I thought, that's not true. At least, well, let's test it and see. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, um, I launched into the uh, Peter's E.T.I. Religious Crisis Survey, and it a survey for the most part confirms what i intuitively have thought and certainly not what the skeptics have thought
1: so you were at your professor at uh the Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary um when you started this survey uh did your colleagues know what you were up to
0: uh no <laughs> and in general uh, in general, uh, this is a topic that's relatively new. mm mm-hmm. Um, I plunge ahead on frontiers of my, uh, my own from time to time. Uh, since, uh, I did conduct the survey, um, that, yes, it's generated, uh, quite a bit of, uh, interest. Uh, I teach here at, as you mentioned, at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary, um, But this is also part of a larger group called the Graduate Theological Union, which Hmm. uh, conducts theological studies and religious studies for a wide variety of groups. Um, uh, Christians, both Protestant and Catholic, we have a Center for Jewish Studies, an Institute for Buddhist Studies, an Institute for Islamic Studies, etc. And so this was a, a good place. To carry on uh, that uh, kind of conversation. And individuals here and there are interested, but I can't say there's a groundswell of uh, interest in this particular Mm -hmm. topic. So uh, I pursue it with connections in the scholarly world and in the non scholarly world, um, uh, wherever people might be, just here in Berkeley.
1: Uh, when when was it that you put together the survey and then started uh, getting, uh, you know, sending it out?
0: Uh, 2008.
1: Okay. I had
0: read uh, one or two uh, surveys that had attempted to get at this and felt that I could construct a slightly more com- complex one, uh, which we did. I, I'm not going to brag that, was as high a quality of survey as uh, uh, as one might um, expect by professional surveyors, yet uh, I do think that out of 1,325 uh, in our sample that uh, enough in the way of patterns emerged so I can have a fairly high degree of confidence that it does tell us quite a bit that's important
1: yeah, I think that's great. One of the surveys that uh, you said that you kind of uh, have looked at that was similar was a Victoria Alexander, who's uh, incidentally John Alexander's wife, who is someone well-known in this field. And so she was, it looked like, the first in this area to kind of take a stab at this.
0: Yes. And um, when I read her survey, I intuitively thought, well, of course, um uh, that's right and uh, she had um, had gained information from clergy and uh, the clergy didn't seem to um, have a lot of uh, uh, well or, let me put it positively um, the mm-hmm. clergy seemed to have a very positive or welcoming uh, posture towards the prospect of ETI uh, I think what I did that added to it was greater discrimination between uh, religious groups Mm -hmm. uh, themselves. And what I was hoping for is that I could actually begin to look theologically at what uh, people might be saying uh, about this particular topic. Um, We didn't sharply distinguish between clergy, lay, and religious, but Mm -hmm. we did make uh, some attempt. Uh, To discriminate between those three subcategories, and for the most part, it didn't make a difference. I just say a clergy person and a lay person in the same religious group uh, are likely to think the same way.
1: Mm -hmm. And then you know, and then when you get to it, I mean, um, that what like gets question three is kind of the big question. Uh, I'll read it here. The official confirmation of the discovery of a civilization of intelligent beings living on other planets would so undercut my beliefs that my beliefs would face a crisis. And the three (laughs) things they could answer was agree, strongly agree, neither agree nor disagree, or disagree, strongly uh, disagree. And the overwhelming response was in the disagree.
0: Overwhelmingly and That applies to Roman Catholics, it applies to Evangelical Christians, which Mm -hmm. uh, includes fundamentalists. We did not uh, break that into two subgroups. It includes mainline uh, Protestants, Uh, it includes um, Buddhists, we got uh, a large enough sample on Buddhists to have some uh, confidence. Um, Our samples for some groups turn out to be too small to render a judgment um, Mm -hmm. uh, that it goes for uh, people of uh, Jewish and uh, Muslim traditions. However, the very small uh, samples that uh, came in uh, were consistent with all the other groups. And then Mm -hmm. the comments, we did ask for spontaneous comments, were consistent across the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could find a Muslim or a Buddhist, an evangelical Christian all saying this universe is so big and so much could happen there that there very well could be extraterrestrial life, intelligent life, and if so, this is part of God's plan, whether you call God God or Allah, uh, or in the case of Buddhists, in you know, all my religious understanding of the universe, would not be negatively affected. And sometimes, uh, with some consistency, wouldn't it be arrogant for us to think that we here on Earth are the only uh, sentient beings or only intelligent beings that God would make? So that was consistent. Were there any, did anybody as an individual disagree? Well, yes, of course. Uh so but we're just talking about um how large the numbers are relatively mm-hmm.
1: speaking. Yeah, I you know, take looking at the survey, I, I would fit in the Buddhist or the non religious, but I my answers to your questions fit more along the Buddhist line, which I thought was interesting. But um some of the answers, um that you got in your comments were pretty funny, pretty interesting. I like the one in this question. Someone said, I'd share a pew with extraterrestrials any day.
0: I just love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'd share a pew with an extraterrestrial any day. and I think that person was in the mainline Protestant uh, category who uh, added that one. Yeah, I loved it.
1: And you know what? It shows this question, first of all, right off the bat, like you said, it, it disproves this idea that, you know, religions probably would be majorly affected. Um, And it also kind of disproves another idea that, uh, which is what I was getting at with the non-religious kind of thing, uh, is that you were demonstrating that um, the non-religious kind of have a perspective that the religious are more closed-minded. But uh, that's another reason I love this comment, because it's a religious person who's obviously... Not closed minded uh, and share a few with an extraterrestrial any day.
0: Yes, I, I think you're right. Um, a phrase such as "open-minded" or "closed-minded" came up frequently in the comments, and those people who are worried that religion might be fragile and suffer a crisis tend to be the non-religious and the uh, the self. Of uh, self-identified non-religious uh, people in the survey, frequently describe themselves as open-minded and describe religious people as closed-minded. And uh, so, a non-religious person can say, "I welcome UFOs, but those other religious people over there, those closed-minded." doctrinary dogmatic religious people, uh, they're going to uh suffer at this particular point. And it appeared clear from the survey that the only group that has this worry about the fragility of religion are the non religious. Mm-hmm. Now, pointing out that we didn't divide or try to discriminate between non-religious people who are atheistic on the one hand, and non-religious people who are spiritual but not religious uh, Mm -hmm. on the other. And in that second category, there would be a number of New Agers. And so there were Mm -hmm. among the non-religious, theists, as well as atheists. If we were to do the survey again, or if somebody else would like to follow it up with a more refined instrument, it would be good to distinguish that uh, those two different um, uh, components within the non-religious and to see if uh, they come out the same or if they come out differently.
1: Right, and and one of the interesting parts is that is, uh, because I mean you you had mentioned how. Um, Dr. Jill Carter with that study and some of the comments she had made about religious uh, having a problem was sort of one of the inspirations or an example of the um, belief that's out there that you're trying to test and uh, the non-religious, the very scientific, hardline scientist would probably fit more in that atheist category as opposed to the kind of like you said, uh, that
0: Yes, I I work with that image too of your heart nosed scientist who gets up in the morning and eats nails for breakfast, you know, just <laughs> giving facts, um, that kind of person. Um, and uh, it's also the case uh, with uh, many scientists, and I do not want to uh, say every scientist for sure, but mm-hmm. uh, there are many scientists who feel that a naturalistic picture of the world is a superior one and that religious thinking is primitive and outdated and uh, that we could render judgments that way. Religion is close-minded and doctrinaire and dogmatic and science is uh, uh, open-minded. And it would follow then that a scientifically trained person is more likely to accept extraterrestrial life than uh, a religious dole. But with regard to Jill Tarter, and I've had an opportunity in recent years to spend a fair amount of time at SETI with uh, SETI people, and Jill has heard me uh, on this topic a couple of times. and. On one occasion, she said, I just find it hard to believe the results of your your survey because fundamentalists and evangelical Christians that she's acquainted with do register a negative reaction to the prospect of ET contact. And to see them uh, in my survey standing next to uh, liberal Protestants and Roman Catholics and others uh not showing much difference. Well that was just a surprise to her. Well, it maybe it's a surprise to everybody. I'm not uh I'm not certain. But I think that uh Jill and perhaps uh, others in this category uh operate with the image, well fundamentals evangelicals are so narrow that they could not absorb uh radically new things. Maybe that's an image or a stereotype that floats around scientific circles, mm-hmm. and uh, at least on the on the question of whether or not uh, we could live with ETI in our neighborhood, uh, mm-hmm. maybe the results of the survey are a little bit surprising.
1: Yeah. Now, I I was not surprised by your findings. Uh, I think it makes sense, and you, you answered some questions as to why this persists, and we'll get into that later, this this idea, um, but um, I was a little bit surprised at how much, you know, how strongly people felt their beliefs would not be affected. And I love cool. question four because question four also shows something interesting because question three was, will your personal beliefs be affected uh, or face a crisis? Question four is, will your religious tradition Face a crisis, and there was a slight difference, um, even though it is only slight, where a few more agreed that their religious tradition may be affected. Um, But uh, still, if I were were
0: a Roman Catholic lay person, I would say, "Oh, my faith won't be hurt at all." But you know what? I'm going to worry about the bishop and the archbishop and the pope. (laughs) Right? They would get a shot. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way I could uh, read that result, but I find it interesting that there is uh, a noticeable change, not uh, significant overall, but certainly within that group, so many individuals indicated that my faith won't be undercut, but the other person sitting next to me in the pew or the one in the chancel, they're going to have a problem.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's an interesting answer. And of course, you know, um personal beliefs people can be more flexible than large organizations. But um it also kinda gets you because you had some answers in this, you know, such as most people like uh Mormons for instance saying, you know, we already believe in, in extraterrestrials, Buddhists saying that's we true. already believe in other planets and things like that. And the only religion and paul davids who who you refer to in this document uh you know he talked about how Roman Catholics might have an issue cause, uh philosophically there's there's some um things there, but Roman Catholics are the ones who are really wrapping their arms around trying to uh to uh resolve that issue, and they're you know having astrobiological or astrobiology conferences and things like that.
0: Yes, uh, I think it comes to a surprise frequently for people in the media to learn that the Vatican has sponsored its own observatory for pushing four centuries now. Um, They might not have liked Galileo, but they certainly took advantage (laughs) of the telescope, Mm -hmm. and uh, when I, And I've had an opportunity now since 1987 to work with back at the observatory astronomers, and looking for extraterrestrial life has been part of their agenda, um, at least for the current generation of uh, astronomers and astrophysicists. And maybe they inherited it. I don't know how far it goes back. Uh, so once in a while, you'll see a a news clipping where someone will have inter- interviewed somebody from the Vatican Observatory and then they're flabbergasted. Oh my goodness, the church is actually looking for ET. And I want to say, that's really old news. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be news when they find ET, but right now it's old news that they're looking. And uh, obviously, they're not going to have any theological difficulties if they're looking. Uh, just as, you know, many uh, other secular uh, astronomers and astrophysicists are looking.
1: Now, this uh, philosophical issue that the Roman Catholics have that uh, Paul David brings up, um, hasn't necessarily I don't know, and you would have more insight, been resolved amongst the um, scholars and the philosophers and the theologians and the Roman Catholicism who are talking about it, but Funes who's in charge of uh, the observatory, has come out and said it's okay to believe in extraterrestrials and they would be our brothers. Um, do you think the philosophical differences will be an issue, that they'll resolve that? or, or What are your insights into that whole aspect?
0: Well, with regard to uh, Jose Fudes and the other Jesuits who are the researchers at the Vatican Observatory, George Coyne, uh Bill Staker, um, and uh scientists such as that, they're just interested in finding them. Uh, they would it would give them a good day, you know, to actually <laughs> discover uh ET. With regard to what comes next, There isn't really a lot of philosophical speculation, at least as I hang around with that particular group. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure that philosophical questions will come up, but uh, right now, at this particular point, they don't invest a lot of time and energy in them. Mm
2: -hmm. I
0: could add, however, and this is a concern of Paul Davies, who we just mentioned, that a theological issue having to do with the incarnation of God in Christ will come up and has come up amongst uh, theologians uh, for quite a while. And that question is, when we think of God incarnate in Jesus Christ in human history here on Earth, would it uh, be? Will that suffice for the whole universe, or are we likely to see similar incarnations in other species on other planets? And you can find theological muscle uh, picking up one or another of those two alternatives and Jesuits sitting around uh, having their sherry in the late afternoon uh, Mm after a hard day's work. Of course, we have to say that's before a hard night's work because they were in the night sky over the day sky to be looking at the stars. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the kind of conversation you will hear, and as far as I know, uh, there's no one dominant point of view, uh, either for Catholics or Protestants, who deal with that question Mm -hmm. of a single incarnation versus multiple incarnations.
1: Is it a Protestant issue, too? Uh, and, And if so, or if not, why not? Uh,
0: I do think that a Protestant would have to
1: confront this in exactly the same way. I Uh just think
0: that there are more Catholics busy at work on this question uh, than Protestants.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so people aren't worrying about that (laughs) too much then.
0: No, they're not worrying. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things about critics, such as Paul Davies and others, Uh, he says that or assumes that this is what makes Christianity so fragile and so subject to crisis uh, is that it could not resolve this question of singular multiple incarnations. Well, to me, the evidence is clear that it would not precipitate a crisis. Yes, Mm -hmm. the debate would go on, but a debate shows that people are pretty comfortable with discussing both sides of the question. So that's that's what makes me think, you know, it's not going to provide a crisis. It'll provide an opportunity for theological debate, but we've had theological debates going all the way back to the Bible.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, this is nothing new here, and a theological debate does not suggest a crisis at all.
1: Well, I grew up Roman Catholic, and it seems like... uh... There are a lot of theologians who get excited when it comes to having something to debate. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yes, in fact, uh, our understanding of the rules for debate, uh, for the most part, are drawn from the medieval Roman Catholic process of having uh, a dialogue where one person puts down a thesis and argues for it to someone Uh, puts down a counter-thesis and argues for that. That's part of the whole tradition. In fact, uh, theologians become theologians in large part because they want to argue. right.
1: (laughs) So this moves us on then to question five. And I think this is the big key um, because you thus far have pretty much disproven the idea that uh, religions would face a crisis. But then you ask, even though my religious viewpoint won't face a crisis, what about those other religions? And there was a, a pretty decent response that, oh yeah, my religion's going to be fine, but those other religions—they're in trouble.
0: Yeah, I uh, I don't know how to explain that, but I find it uh, humorous, very humorous <laughs> yeah. that uh, people would think that. One of the um, uh, things that puzzles me, and uh, you'll notice that we have almost 70% of the non-religious uh, affirming, uh, agreed or strongly agreeing um, about that. So that means uh, a person will say, I am not religious, but I believe that all those Hindus and Muslims and Christians over there, they're going to have a problem that I won't have, it puzzles me because I suspect that some of those people in the non-religious category grew up religious. Um, mm, how many right. times could you find a story uh, such as E.O. Wilson and others, I grew up an evangelical, but I gave, my, gave up my faith what I learned about evolution or something like that. Mm -hmm. So now as a mature uh, person, uh, perhaps embracing agnosticism or atheism, they remember what religion was like as a kid. And now they don't have religion anymore. And then they're going to say that religion is fragile and subject to a crisis I'd just like to know more about what goes on in a person's mind uh there because it's not as though they're what ignorant of religion. I mean they've had, they have some knowledge, even if it's a child's knowledge. And um it would be good to test again and try to refine that and just see what uh what the thinking is. I, Alejandro maybe you have some speculation there as to just how a non-religious person's mind works when uh, dealing with this.
1: Well, I think that you just said it. I mean, a, a lot of non-religious people also are rebellious of their religion. And That's right. And unfortunately, I think are overly critical of, of the religion they used to belong to. And then make the assumption that uh, others, I think you hit a point too, is the ignorance that not only are the non-religious uh, ignorant uh, of the other religion, uh, every religion is ignorant of the others. I think a paper like yours sheds light on the extraterrestrial discussions that are going on in a lot of the different religions. You know, and I think you know a Roman Catholic thinks, "Well, we're so smart, we're we're figuring this out, and we're having conferences." But, like, you know, the Protestants over there, they better start figuring it out. Or the Mormons, they're probably in trouble. Yeah. Without even knowing that the Mormons are like, hey, we, we already figured this out. And uh, yeah. I would I'd imagine be. that might be an issue.
0: I wonder, as uh, you talk that way, I wonder if it could be just our group versus another group. I wonder if we were to test Democrats and Republicans. And maybe the Republicans would say ETI would cause a crisis amongst the Democrats.
1: (laughs) That's a great question, and I'll bet you're right. I'll bet you they would. I bet you, yeah, that would be so interesting. That's funny. But I think you know what else this question reveals is why this mythology, uh, or yeah, this idea that religions are going to have a problem, persists. Because if you have, you know, a lot of people thinking, I'm going to be okay, but they're not, uh, it demonstrates how, of course, then most people think, oh, religions are going to have a trouble. But with the sidebar there, which you'd never hear, which is luckily ours will be okay, but everybody else is going to be in trouble. Right, right. So I think this is the key to why that uh, whole idea persists. And, you know, to your answer with Jill Tarter on uh, her thing about uh, being so surprised, um, it's another example, I think, of a non-religious person. I'm not so surprised because I'm in this field and I pay attention to all the different uh, people discussing extraterrestrials. And I, I realize that a lot of religions and groups are discussing this or okay with it, whereas someone like her uh, may not be aware of that.
0: Uh Yes. it's uh, Maybe if uh, we make up our mind what religious people are like, (laughs) then we don't really want to invest the energy to find out whether uh, what we have thought is really uh, on the mark uh, or not. Getting back to trying to read the mind of a person who is scientifically educated, who feels that religion was something he enjoyed as a child, but when we mature, we give it up and we replace it with, what, science?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, that if you were to then extrapolate extrapolate to the uh, evolutionary history of the human race or something like that, you might want to say, well, religion was primitive, and uh, we who believe in the scientific understanding of reality, we are the advanced ones. I see that assumption at work uh, in what I call the ETI myth, and yes, people in the contemporary uh, age, the scientific age, are just as people of thinking mythologically as others included in this myth would be the idea that science is highly evolved and religion is less highly evolved. And those of us who are scientists were the ones who are going to actually make contact with ET and maybe ET is more highly evolved than we are and perhaps on their planet, in their evolutionary development, they were religious once, but they gave it up for science. Mm-hmm. And essentially, we're building a picture here in which those of us who are scientists, are top dogs, we're the most highly evolved, uh, we're the most advanced, and the scientists on Earth then could develop a paternity with the scientists on Zeta-2 reticuli, and, um, just sitting around feeling superior to those inferior religious people. I'm just trying to, uh, uh, read the, uh, the mind of, or to put it another way, to look at the thought structure, uh, of, uh, people for whom it would be important to think that religion is fragile and un- unprepared, underprepared to
1: deal with easy contact. Yeah. It's kind of funny. It reminds me, it makes me think of, you know, um, maybe Jill Tartar comic with her shaking an alien's hand and the alien going, oh, it's nice to meet you, scientist. What's with those crazy religious people on your planet?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think that's (laughs) right to the point.
1: (laughs) Kind of this idea. Um, So, and which is a question that you tackled also later on in this thing but i think that's what's great you you kind of um answered these questions and i mean finally uh did it in a way with like you said over 1300 people that you talked to to finally bust that myth like the mythbusters
0: yes i think it's um uh a, uh, we busted a myth in the sense of uh, uh, putting an assumption to challenge and revealing what perhaps many people uh, will find as a surprise. And to go on then and press the analysis, maybe um, a number of people might be disappointed if they have this belief that religion is primitive and out-of-date Science is modern and up to date uh i uh, I want to go ahead and then um add a couple of other analytical uh perspectives uh-huh one of which is to see how religion doesn't really go away; it just changes its form mhm and in a non uh religious or anti religious uh Period of our culture, which uh, we've had now since the Enlightenment, religion comes back, but it comes back subtly in belief systems, not as an organized church, but as a set of beliefs that we seem to have to um, work with. Mm -hmm. This assumption, for example, that life evolves from something simple to some something complex, from something stupid. Uh, to something very intelligent, we export then to another planet, and we think that life might have started there. It follows this progressive uh, uh, channel of evolutionary development until the equivalent of Homo sapiens appears and continues to cultivate intelligence. Um, intelligence must be reproductively adaptable on other planets as well as it is here, and eventually intelligent people um, may have religion, but then they go on and then they become scientific, and when they're scientific, they create technology, and they create radios to send signals to us uh, here in space, and If they've been at this longer than the uh, 3.8 billion years we have on Earth, um, then they're more intelligent than we are, uh, they're brighter than we are. And uh, then you say, oh my goodness, they must have had achievements already in medicine as to how to cure people from disease, maybe even uh, establish uh, everlasting life. Maybe they have put an end to war and um, uh, they've achieved economic justice, and the image grows, and I'm not making this up because you can actually see it work uh, in uh, SETI scientists as well as many UFO believers, Mm -hmm. and we have here then this more highly evolved society that has all kinds of qualities and traits that are superior to ours, and you know what? If we could have contact with them, we would benefit from this. And they would share their medicine and longevity with us. They would share peace and justice with us and all of these kinds of things. Well, there's not a shred of empirical evidence at all, from a scientific point of view, that such a civilization exists, but boy, we want to believe in it. And it just looks like heaven. It looks like angels uh, coming with sheets instead of on uh, gossamer. Um, and so what I'm thinking is, is that many religious beliefs have just sort of gone underground, but now they pop up again uh, in belief systems surrounding ETI, which would include some UFO believers, but clearly uh, in the case of SETI and others, uh those who are strictly, who think of themselves as being strictly scientific character. Now, I don't want to um, impugn uh, the science uh, that is being uh, done here. All right? As I said, I know the scientists. They do produce good knowledge. They're, it's what mm-hmm. they do. The framework uh, within which they work has these uh, mythological assumptions. Uh, 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 with which they work. So uh, this is not something you can test for in a survey, but it is part of my analysis of what makes a contemporary secular society work, and that is that we have these sublimated uh, religious beliefs that are given different labels such as uh, you know evolution or something like that.
1: Well, one thing that I'm, you know, because I'm, I'm not, you know, definitely some total SETI basher, but I uh, certainly uh, am critical uh, of there are, because these are scientists, but they certainly have very strong opinions that are purely based off of um, speculation, such as this one um, that you actually did the work to discover uh, was not necessarily true. Um, but a lot of those, and, and you know, especially in astronomy, when they're finding new things that they never could have imagined existed on a regular basis. What was one of the latest? Were planets that didn't have, an, not attached to suns, just floating out there in places. I mean, on a monthly basis, it seems they find these amazing discoveries they never thought possible.
0: I think... This is a very good point, and it's a subtle point, that belief in the ETI myth is a prompt or a heuristic. It's something that gets the scientist going in order to pursue the research. Mm -hmm. Now, the last I observed, a, a list of exoplanets was somewhere around 1,500. Mm -hmm. And it is the assumptions that we make that turn us on and get us excited and uh, lead us to construct research programs, to go after them and find them. And there's no question in my mind that this new knowledge is very valuable to us. And if it starts out with speculation... And if it ends up with new knowledge, I want to say,
1: Hallelujah! <laughs> Go it's for a good it. point. That's a really and, good point because uh, it's
0: very possible that mm-hmm. the ETI was will turn out to be true. It's yeah. just that we need to distinguish between speculative assumptions that look mythological on the one hand, with the actual data that we gain from pursuing the research on the other, and SETI really has produced a lot of interesting knowledge, as other astrobiologists have produced for us.
1: Yeah. Well, and, you know, the majority of uh, the astrobiologists, at least a lot of the big ones, I know Michio Kaku and, and Sagan and David, they all have the idea you're talking about, that they're more evolved in everything. And personally, I'll admit that I have that feeling, although I, I understand that it's certainly not... Uh, Empirically provable In fact, uh, you know, democracy Which is a very advanced um, um, Way of governance Has been around for a long time Um, It's gone away and come back You know, uh, but It certainly inspires me Because if I had the philosophical belief That there are probably bad guys out there I wouldn't be as enthusiastic about finding them
0: uh, these are uh, good observations. I had not thought about the democracy analogy. I mean, it is true that uh, 2,400 years ago, we had a democracy in ancient Greece, uh, and it went away and came back. Um, I think with regard to belief in the ETI myth, um, I, I know as a kid, I wanted it to be true. And now as a grown-up, I kind of want it to be true. In <laughs> fact, i disappointed that we haven't proven it true uh, after uh, all of these uh, decades. And I think keeping the myth alive uh, is probably not a problem, uh, as long as we recognize what it is, that uh, it is myth or it is a framework or it is a set of as-yet-unproven a, a, a Assumptions, and recognize that only when we get the data in do we have something that merits the word uh, science. But in the meantime, uh, it <laughs> it's where the excitement in asking the question lies.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah. I would even say, you know, even maybe uh, irrationally. At times, I fantasize and lean on it like a crutch, and maybe it's because I think of, you know, things like Star Trek, where they have these wonderful futuristic uh, adventures and, and and humanity, and they're all so nice to each other and everything, which is great uh, kind of vision.
0: Yes, I noticed um, Stephen Hawking about this time a year ago. Mm-hmm. British physicist had cited that the uh, space wings uh, out there on other planets are probably a lot like us, and they probably rape and pillage and destroy, and maybe we should not be sending them signals because then they could find us and they'll come here and lay our planet uh, to, uh, to destruction and his analogy was the way the Europeans treated the Native Americans in uh, North America, that that's the way they're going to treat us on Earth. So the conclusion would be, don't let them know we're here. Mm-hmm. Hide. Um, well, that's anomalous. I mean, there's a certain logic uh, to that uh, as well. Uh, um, and if we made that assumption, then we probably— uh, with just cower here in our own darkness. Uh, so we have to have some positive motives, some positive image that gives us the enthusiasm to pursue research in outer space. Mm-hmm. And if Stephen Hawking were in charge, we probably would have no motive to do so.
1: Yeah. So I guess off of uh, this research, which I love so much, but kind of into your own personal beliefs, do you believe that visitation is happening?
0: I actually bracket that out as a scientific uh, question. Uh, like many in the field of ufology, after you have cleared away uh, all the IFOs, that identified flying objects, and you have this 10% residual of still unidentified flying objects, uh, that becomes the most interesting. And then you look for continuities and discontinuities. And as I mentioned, I would like to believe uh, they are extraterrestrials, just like plot was in the movie mm-hmm. The Day Earth, But still, coming to Earth and providing a catalyst for uh, Earth's uh, betterment. Uh, I would like to believe that. But um, as yet... The uh, compilation of really good UFO uh, anecdotes and reports does not give us a high degree of, of confidence uh, in this. And if they are flying machines with UFO knots, uh in them, which I hope they are, let me just say we're not ready yet to say that with um, uh, a high degree of uh, Now, if I were one of the individual contactees, then um, I would say, well, I know, I know for sure. Uh, I'm not in that particular category. Uh, And so uh, that's why I say I bracket it out. I I would like to call the existence or non-existence of ET on Earth uh, as a scientific question yet to be uh, answered. In the meantime... Having done a large number of UFO sighting investigations myself and talked with people whom I must judge uh, to be both sane and having integrity who are UFO witnesses, I want to say there's something going on there uh, that genuinely is, but like spinning wheels in the slush in late winter, we've been spinning wheels for 60 years now and still haven't got traction. I've not given up uh, by any means, but I still am looking forward to the day when we get some traction. If we get to
1: so, of course, uh, a group who's been spinning some wheels are, are the main guys out there trying to look for some traction. Move on. you're going to be speaking with them. Is this like the first UFO-oriented uh uh, conference that you've spoken to?
0: No, in fact, um okay. I gave it a bread like this in nineteen seventy nine. Wow. Uh MUFON meeting. And in the days when Walter Andrus was the head of MUFON, I did stay in uh, continuous uh communication with uh Walter and visited him uh, a couple times. Um and his, he had a research center in his garage. Um, I have, uh, and I was a, a the Louisiana state investigator for MUFON on for um, a period of time and did some first-hand uh, interviewing. Um, I was far more involved in the 1970s with the UFO phenomenon than mm-hmm. I am now, and that just happens to be because of my professional situation that I've given my time to uh, other things. So I continue to uh like the idea of investigating UFOs to get the data and see if we could have a breakthrough of some kind or another. Uh but um I'm sometimes hot, sometimes cold and uh there was a period there in which I was cold simply because I was busy doing other things.
1: So yeah, so is this uh is it exciting you to come back?
0: It is, it is. I was at uh, a MUFON uh, conference just a few years ago and uh, saw some old friends there, such as Barry Downing and others. So I'm anxious this year to do this, yes. And uh, even though many people are interested in UFOs who do not adhere to the extraterrestrial hypothesis, Mm -hmm. I do think uh, that the ET hypothesis is what Uh, sparks uh, most interest, and I am hoping that people will find interesting what it is that I'll have to say.
1: I think so. I mean, I was very excited to see your name on the list, and uh, very excited when they sent me uh, some contact information to have you on the show, and uh, I was excited to be able to talk to you, and this interview has turned out to um, surpassed my expectations. It's been fulfilling well, and fun and good. Good. and wonderful. Uh, so, so I think...
0: Here, uh, Alejandro, this is a topic which um, continues to fascinate me as well as you and uh, so many. So the more discussion, the better.
1: Yeah. So I think that people who go to your, your talk there at the symposium are going to have a good time, too. And luckily, it's not too far for you to travel.
0: Yes, that's right. I'm a Californian and uh, I'll be down at Irvine. I'm actually uh, going to fly. I have to run out to another meeting uh, afterward, but I'm looking forward to being there. Um, I've got some new copies of my book, UFOs, Gods, Chariots, uh, question mark, uh, printed up. make those available. And uh, hopefully, people will want to engage in the kind of conversation that you and I have just had, yes. and see if it takes us anywhere.
1: Where can they get your book, UFOs, Gods, and uh, I? Uh, it
0: will be on Amazon shortly. Okay. Um, uh, so that would be the easiest place to track it down.
1: Uh, does it? Is it essentially UFO's
0: about chariots?
1: Uh huh. Is it essentially about the topics we've uh, just discussed?
0: Yes. Uh, I wrote it long before the survey, but it deals with this uh, secularization of religious impulses. And I looked at a large number of cases uh, Mm -hmm. in which this is demonstrated, the extraterrestrial um, uh, myth or the ETI myth at work, where people are feeling heavy religious feelings, trying to express them uh, in what appears to be scientific or naturalistic uh, language. And I look at a number of cases and analyze them uh, with that in mind.
1: Right. And just to repeat it so people know, UFOs, God's chariots, question mark, and then the subtitle is Flying Saucers in Politics, Science, and Religion. Yes, that's the one. Sounds very interesting. So I look forward to that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, hopefully we'll have you again sometime. And I definitely look forward to meeting you in California.
0: Okay, Alejandro. Thanks so much for your time.
1: All right. You can go and download his survey, which I suggest people do, and read all the details. Very interesting. You just Google Peter's ETI survey or Peter's ETI Religious Crisis Survey. The title is pretty interesting. That is all. Thank you so much for listening to Open Minds Radio. And don't forget to visit openminds.tv for more UFO news. Talk to you next week.